for our scripture reading, we'll turn to Luke 9. Luke 9. And to give honor to our glorious God and to his holy word, if we're able, let's please stand as we read Luke 9, starting at verse 57. This is God's holy and infallible word, Luke 9, 57. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, Allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Let's pray together. Our Father, our glorious Lord, we ask that you would help us to understand these hard sayings of our blessed Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to count the costs of being your disciples. Give us grace to understand and believe and grow by the means of this, your holy word. For we ask this in the name of Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. You can't just go to Walmart or some other store and load up the shopping cart all you want with as much food as you would like, with clothing, electronics, as my kids would like, with lots of toys, board games and all that sort of stuff, other goods. You can't just load up your cart without first counting the cost. Maybe even before you go shopping at Walmart, maybe you want to check your balance in your bank account. We'll see if you even have enough to go out and buy much at all. You have to count the costs. And Jesus here in today's text is doing something similar. He's telling men who are wanting to follow him to count the costs of following him, of being his disciple. Earlier in this chapter, Jesus sent out the twelve and he gave them power and authority over all the demons to heal all diseases in verse 1. But in addition to that, he fed the 5,000. He gave Peter, James, and John the privilege of going up to the Mount of Transfiguration to see himself transfigured or shown in his full, awesome glory. And then later on, Maybe some of those magnificent experiences made them and others eager to want to have a discussion about who would be the greatest. But then Jesus later says, Whoever receives a child in my name, and whoever receives me who sent me, the one who is least among all of you, this one, is the one who is great. 
And as they were leaving, Jesus said that he was setting his, his mind, his, his path, his motivation to go to Jerusalem. We know that's because he has in mind that that's where he's going to be rejected by the, the chief priests. He's going to be rejected by his own and then later crucified for sinners. But as they're going on their way to Jerusalem, they stop by a village. They, Jesus sends messengers to a village of the Samaritans and says, go check and see if they can make arrangements for us. But then the Samaritans find out, well, Jesus is not going with his disciples to Mount Gerizim, which is the true holy mountain, according to their uh, distorted understanding of the, the Jewish faith. Remember, you, the, the Samaritans were people of mixed blood lineage, but also mixed religion. So they rejected Jerusalem in favor of saying that Mount Gerizim is a holy place. And because Jesus was not going to the right mountain, they rejected him and they sent him and his disciples away. Well, these disciples, especially uh, James and John, didn't like being rejected. They didn't like their Lord being rejected. So they said, should we call out far from heaven to destroy the Samaritans? Well, Jesus rightly rebukes them in verse 56 and says, the Son of Man didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And as history tells us, we, if you study history, we find out that many of the Samaritans did later convert to Christianity. That would have been bad if they were all destroyed by fire and they couldn't convert and be added to the elect. But God did bring Samaritans into the kingdom and they will be numbered among every tribe, tongue, and nation. But while they're being rejected from the Samaritans, they still have to find another place. So they're going to find another village to stay in for the night. You, I guess it's getting dark. But on their way to find another place to stay, they're approached by a man calling out unto Jesus, and he's excited over who Jesus is, and he makes these promises. But we'll see that in a little bit. The main focus of today's text is that Jesus wants you to count the costs of discipleship. Jesus wants you to count the costs of discipleship. And we'll see this in two main points. Suffering to follow Christ. And secondly, the priority of following Christ. So let's look at this first main point. Suffering to follow Christ. As they were going along the road, verse 57, someone said to him, I will follow you, Lord Jesus, wherever you go. I think the background of this promise or this excited statement is twofold. The man heard either himself hearing the teaching or he heard someone relate the teachings of Jesus and he was amazed like many others at the teachings of Jesus because Jesus taught his authority, not as the scribes and Pharisees. Um, but he may have also heard of the miraculous works of Jesus, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, um, curing many of great illnesses, relieving even some of paralysis, raising the dead, and delivering many from evil demons. So he, he likely heard all of what Jesus had done, and he was excited to follow Jesus. That's why he says, 
I will follow you wherever you go. But notice the answer that Jesus gives the man, verse 58. Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What Jesus here is saying is that he had no home of his own. He had no permanent residence. He was dependent upon the hospitality of others. And there are occasions in the gospel, and I truly believe that the occasion of feeding the 5,000 was one occasion where not only Jesus, but the whole crowd ended up spending the night outdoors. If it wasn't for Jesus being taken captive, I think that during the, the night in the Garden of Gethsemane, the plan was likely to spend the night in the Garden of Gethsemane. So sometimes they stayed in homes. Sometimes they went to villages and they asked for hospitality in villages like, like they were asking of the Samaritans. But many occasions they might have even slept outdoors. Jesus lived like what was called a traveling nomad. A nomad is a person who travels about for various reasons, but doesn't really have a permanent residence. Kind of like a, a gypsy, you could say. Uh, the, the gypsies of old had one advantage over Jesus. They often traveled around in covered wagons that were like little homes on wheels. Jesus and the disciples didn't even have anything of that sort. They were more destitute in, in the way of their accommodations than even uh, what we knew as to be the gypsies. The apostles, those committed to following Jesus and preaching the gospel, they had to likewise be willing to live also as nomads. Now, when Jesus said this to this rather excited individual, we don't know whether the individual was still excited and willing to follow Jesus. So then I asked this question, because Jesus says this, he says, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Since he gives this answer to this man, is it the calling for all Christians to live as nomads? Now, whenever you have a question in scripture, the best thing to do is to answer scripture with scripture. And I want us to look at two different occasions of individuals who were saved and became Christians. The first one is the rich tax collector Zacchaeus. You remember the story, Zacchaeus was a little short man, so he, he got in a high tree, a sycamore tree, to look, and he wanted to see Jesus. So this little short guy got, got in the tree to see Jesus, and then Jesus goes up to the tree, looks up at him and says, Zacchaeus, come down, for I must stay at, at your house. And then, of course, the Jews were all in a, a tumult of, about this. Look, he's going to stay with a man who's a sinner and tax collector. But when at Zacchaeus' house, no doubt Jesus shared with him the Holy Gospel. And Zacchaeus sold half of his goods and gave them to the poor and made restitution to all those he had defrauded. And Jesus said, said that salvation had come to the household of Zacchaeus. So Zacchaeus gave up half of his goods to the poor, made restitution, but it says he was a rich man. Zacchaeus remained in his house. He didn't get rid of his home. He still retained a place to lay his head. Another example of someone who was a Christian who still remained in a, having their own home was Martha, 
Remember the, the situation where Martha and Mary are giving hospitality to Jesus and the disciples. Of course, Jesus criticizes Martha because she was so busy about caring for hospitality and serving others that she didn't want to sit at the feet of Jesus. Mary had taken the better, the better practice of sitting at the feet of Jesus and when everyone should have probably been allowed to get their own bread and sandwich, you know. Instead, you know, Martha, though you have to commend her, she did open her home for hospitality to serve Jesus and the disciples. She kept her home. She kept her place to lay her head and used that place for the good of the kingdom to offer hospitality. So there are at least two cases here in the New Testament showing that Christians are not called to give up their own home, their own permanent place of residence, whether it be a home that they own of themselves or even some permanent residence like an apartment. Now here's the thing. During the ministry of Christ, during the life of Christ, those who were called to follow Jesus during his earthly ministry, until his crucifixion, they were called to live as nomads. They were called to be, you could say, itinerant preachers with Jesus, and they were required to have no permanent residence but to travel from place to place, often sleeping in strange beds or maybe even on the ground. But this passage here is just one example to show us that Christians ought to be willing to suffer hardship or even worse for the sake of Christ. There's two pa- there's, uh, Matthew's Gospel. I want us to keep our place, but look at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, we're going to give you a little summary of what it says there in verses 17 through 23. But Jesus told his disciples that following him could cost imprisonment, betrayal, betrayal by even family. They would be required to flee from city to city, and some would even have to suffer death for the kingdom. Verse 23, in summary, it says, But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you that you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. And then verses 24 through 25. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. Is it enough for the disciples that he become like his teacher and a slave like his master? If they have called the head of the house Beelzebub, that's ruler of demons, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. In the conclusion, really, of this, verse 28, do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy soul and body in hell. I know we don't see it in this country, but some people, some believers even now, 
are being persecuted to death for the sake of the gospel. In Africa, in India, in Asia, in the Middle East, persecuted unto death. And some of them are willing to suffer death, imprisonment, torture for the sake of the Holy Gospel. What are you willing to suffer for the sake of the Gospel? Next, our Lord Jesus taught that there was this requirement of the kingdom that the priority should be in following Him, following Christ. That's our next main point. The priority of following Christ. Look at verses 59 through 60. And he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, Allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Now, many have found this to be one of the hardest sayings in the Bible. And I'm among that number who would say this is really one of the hardest sayings even in all of the Bible, not just the New Testament. Because the dilemma here is that to bury one's father is to keep the, the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother. To honor your father and mother, you, you don't just obey them as children, but you care for them as they grow old and need help. So Jesus says here, it seems like, well, we, is he saying that we disregard the fifth commandment? So the possibilities of ways that we can interpret this passage is this, that the man's, well, we could say the father actually had died, but what, if he had died, what, why is he not at the funeral? Maybe he's on the way to the funeral. Uh, another possible interpretation is that uh, this elderly father had to be cared for. And what he's saying here is that he would follow Jesus after his elderly father died and was buried. But he, that could be weeks, months, maybe even years. Because he is elderly, but we don't know when God's going to take your elderly father, do we? Do you? In this wonderful book, by the way, it's a very fantastic book written by Dr. Kaiser and others, Walter Kaiser. It's called The Hard Sayings of the Bible. The authors of that book wrote this. He says that Jews caring for elderly parents took precedence that this obligation of Jews caring for elderly parents took precedence over the most solemn religious obligations. But so important in Jesus' eyes was the business of following him and proclaiming the kingdom of God that it, that is the proclaiming the kingdom of God, took precedence even over the burial of the dead. I think that gives us a little perspective here. One still additional interpretation here is that Jesus said that the spiritually dead are to bury their physical dead. And I've read some people who, who go that way as well. But I don't believe that you take this passage and say, well, I have unbelieving family, 
I don't need to go to their funeral because they were spiritually dead. I only go to the funerals of those who were spiritually alive and who were believers in Christ. I don't think that this passage at all is giving us a warrant for that sort of thing. Again, the priority here is the priority of the kingdom and preaching the gospel. Another man came and desired to follow Jesus, yet he also had reservations. Look at verses 61 through 62. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, the reasoning of going to say goodbye to your loved ones before committing your life to Christ and following him the rest of your life, maybe, it seems a little bit more, less urgent than the issue of burying, burying one's father. But there's an Old Testament example that makes you wonder. When Elijah called Elisha, Elijah called Elisha, to serve as a prophet and to train under him. Elisha asked for leave to go back to his family and say goodbye to his loved ones, his, his parents and others. Uh, he took an ox, or it might have been two oxen, but he took, an, he took an ox, he slaughtered the ox, he took the implements used for the yoke and all the other farming implements, they made a big fire, they cooked the ox, they had a big celebration, as he went and said, Farewell, for I'm going to be a prophet of the Lord Most High. Goodbye, goodbye. So, in the life of Elisha, it, he was not ridiculed for going and saying goodbye to his family. But why is Jesus not permitting it in this case? I would say the first argument here is that the man to follow, the God-man, Jesus Christ, is one far greater than Elijah. And keep this in mind. Jesus sometimes says hard things for people to hear because they need to hear it in a very hard fashion. The covetous, rich, young ruler, Jesus told him, sell all your possessions and give them to the poor and follow after me. He told them that. But Zacchaeus, he didn't tell Zacchaeus to do that, but Zacchaeus didn't even think that he had to do that. But Zacchaeus sold half and gave it to the poor, but still remained some, to have some wealth. But why did Jesus tell one to sell everything they own and another, he allowed them to only sell half? Because he knows the heart of men. And maybe, in this particular case, he knew that this individual in, in question had a divided heart. And he didn't want him to turn back with his divided heart. J.C. Ryle, in his wonderful expository thoughts on the gospel here, the gospel of Luke, he wrote on a divided heart. Hear this in this is from J.C. Ryle regarding verse 62. We learn from this saying 
that it is impossible to serve Christ with a divided heart. If we are looking back to anything in this world, we are not fit to be disciples. Those who look back, like Lot's wife, want to look back. Jesus will not share his throne with anyone. No, not with our dearest relatives. We must have all our heart given to him or none. No doubt we are to honor father and mother and love all around us. But when love to Christ and love to relatives comes in collision, Jesus must have the preference. I repeat that one. When your love to relatives or let's say for you young people, when your, your love and your admiration for your fellow students, or maybe your admiration for your co-workers, when your love for anyone in this life comes in collision with your love for Christ, Christ must have the priority, the preeminence, always. Now, I know some of you families here in this church, what a fantastic blessing that you don't have to have a divided household. You and your parents and grandparents, maybe even, all serve the Lord Jesus. And you can celebrate because you're all going in the same direction and following Jesus. But that is often a minority of the case, even now in this world today. In many cases, Jesus said, that betrayal would even come from family in Matthew 10. In Matthew 10, in fulfillment of Micah 7, 6, Jesus said this, verse 34, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I came to set, this is the prophecy of Malachi 7, for I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. Even the very members of your own household, your parents, your grandparents, your siblings can seek to draw you away from Christ. But you must not have a divided heart. Follow Jesus that he takes the preeminence that you take the priority to following him. But for those who have sacrificed to follow Jesus, Jesus assures you, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. Matthew nineteen twenty-nine. If you've sacrificed for Christ in faith, God will reward you in this life, but especially reward you in the life to come. There are hardships in following our blessed Lord Jesus. Some of us will have to suffer. We might have to suffer ridicule, insult, being laughed at, mocked for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. Some of us, depending if we move to another area, we might even suffer even worse. 
for the sake of the gospel. We don't know what might happen in our nation if God will make it illegal to preach all of Holy Scripture. They might say to preach anything against sin, such as the sin of sodomy, is considered hate speech. Therefore, to preach such texts of Scripture can cause you to go to in prison for hate speech. So some of us, even in America, could suffer that fate in future time. But remember this. The priority is always following your Savior, Jesus Christ. Suffer hardship for him. Make him first and foremost. And whenever there's a collision between your love for Christ, your service to Christ, and your worship to Christ, and what your family wants, Christ comes first. He is number one, always. Brothers and sisters, keep in mind that we are not saved by suffering hardships. Jesus Christ died and suffered the pains of hell, that it is of faith alone, not of works, that you're saved. But those who have embraced Christ with saving faith will produce such fruit as a willingness to suffer hardships for our blessed Lord, and they will make him the first priority in their lives. Let's pray together. We thank you, our blessed Lord, and we ask you that you would help us to count the costs of discipleship and that you would give us faith to believe and receive and to follow you always, no matter what the costs. Help us to honor, love, and serve you, the King of glory, our mighty Savior, our mighty God. Thank you for giving us your Son. And we pray that you would help us to love him, serve him, worship him, and even be willing to suffer for him. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. For our hymn of dedication, we have a very fitting hymn. Number 497, More Love to Thee, O Christ. Let's stand and sing 497.